0: This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood f.
0: There were protests uh, around the country, in Dublin in particular, but elsewhere as well. And everywhere, there is a growing sense of fear, of crisis at the rise in the cost of living, the inflationary pressures in the economy. We are, of course, still living with the consequences of COVID, of Brexit, and the latest international influence on our economy is, of course, the war in Ukraine uh, and the Russian aggression there. Um, There's no sign of that ending. And when you put the three things together, you come up with serious consequences for people who are trying to live their lives. And we're joined now to discuss uh, the Irish situation and indeed the situation in the European Union, by one of our leading economists, Jim Power. Uh, Jim, has the world ever had, in economic context, three crises of this nature so soon after each other? Indeed, in a way, COVID and Brexit happening almost at the same time, and this war, of course, now adding to the world's woes in all kinds of ways.
1: Well, I, I think, Eamon, for those of a certain age, um, there are some resonances at the moment with what happened in the 1970s um, in 73 and 79 due to wars in oil-producing countries. We had two significant oil price shocks, and that gave rise to a phenomenon called stagflation, which describes slowing growth and rising inflation. And back then, the rising inflation was a direct result of the oil price shock, which damaged economic activity because the world was even more dependent back then on imported oil than it is today. And um, central banks reacted to that with significant increases in interest rates. And we had Paul Volcker, the one of the more famous Federal Reserve chairmen in the United States, Um, increasing interest rates in the early 80s to try and kill inflation for once and for all and caused a major recession in the States but did deliver a significant um, taming of inflation at that stage eventually. Um, There are, as I say, resonances with that period today. Um, We're in an environment where global growth is undoubtedly under pressure because of um, COVID, because of the Ukraine war. And the impact that's had on inflation, particularly um, central banks are now increasing interest rates quite aggressively. Last week, we saw the U.S. Federal Reserve increase interest rates by three quarters of one percent, which was the single largest U.S. interest rate increase um, in over 30 years. The Bank of England increased rates by a quarter percent. The Swiss central bank increased rates by a half percent. So interest rates everywhere are on the way up. Um, As I say, global economic growth is definitely very, very challenged at the moment. And um, unfortunately for central bankers, the imperative at this juncture is certainly to try and bring inflation and more importantly, to try and bring inflationary expectations back under control. And the Federal Reserve's move last week, I think, made it very clear that the view the US central bank is now taking is that engineering a recession is the only way to bring about a significant decline um, in US inflation. A high price to pay, but I think the view would be that if they allow inflation to continue to build in the system and inflationary expectations to continue to build in the system, that that would cause more severe economic problems in the medium to long term. So, there is a very clear central bank strategy at the moment um, in a number of countries, that is increase interest rates regardless of the economic consequences to try and arrest the ongoing spiral in inflationary costs. Um, in Europe, uh, the interest rate situation to date has been different in the sense that we haven't seen the European central bank increase interest rates yet. Um, and I think the delay to date has been that eurozone growth is certainly well behind that in the United States. Unemployment is considerably higher than in the United States. And certainly there are not indications of excess demand in Europe, unlike in the United States. So the Federal Reserve has been quite reticent up to now about increasing interest rates, but that's about to change. Um, I think the European Central Bank will increase rates by a quarter percent in July and probably a half percent in September. And indeed, over the next 12 months, Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see ECB interest rates going from zero at the moment to 2%. As I say, within twelve months. So that, that that's a it's it's a strange set of circumstances. And as you say, um, Ukraine is a crisis coming on top of another crisis, which is COVID. But I also think there is still this ongoing legacy of what happened back in two thousand seven, two thousand and eight, yep. which is still very real out there. So it's it's a very very difficult situation globally. There's no doubt about that.
0: Now in Britain, the Bank of England governor last week, when announcing that quarter uh, point rise in the interest rate, predicted that uh, inflation in the UK was heading for 11%. Here, uh, my understanding is that it, we should have inflation or could have inflation around 8%. Are those figures accurate?
1: Yeah, I mean the the Irish inflation rate in May was running at 7.8% and um, I back back in March um I was predicting at that stage that Irish headline inflation would move move above 10%. Um bodies like the ESRI and the central bank disagree. They think inflation will peak out at around 8%. Um I'm not so sure. I think we could well see inflation with them um, in double digits over the coming months um of course um a lot depends on you know what's happening globally because um ireland's in indeed the global inflation problem is due to supply side problems rather than excessive demand in the main there's some yeah. excessive demand in the states but it's mainly a supply side problem and what i mean by that is that uh, the cost of goods has increased dramatically and uh, particularly, you know, on the food side, um, global wheat prices at the moment, which is a key ingredient in food, all food up 56 percent, palm oil up 48 percent, cheese up almost 42 percent, coffee up 52 percent fertilizer
0: is one of that isn't it is one of those issues for farmers
1: it it, it certainly is because um okay there's, there's a couple of things happening here one is that um ukraine russia that part of the world is obviously you know the breadbasket of europe if indeed not of the world significant wheat producer um significant producer of sunflower oil Uh, Both of those have been significantly disrupted by the war in Ukraine and both prices and supply have been significantly damaged. So that's one issue. There's a serious shock to the supply of a number of important food products. But the second issue then is the what's happening on the input side. um, And fertilizer obviously is one of the most important inputs along with labor and energy in food production. And in the year to April, fertilizer prices in Ireland up by 177.8%. You know, that is dramatic stuff. And it's, it's being reflected around the world. Um, a few reasons for that. There was already upward pressure as a result of the supply disruptions and production disruptions of fertilizer caused by COVID, but also, um, potash is a significant, um, ingredient in fertilizer, which is a key. Um, product in Ukraine, Russia, Belarus, and so on. So the cost of fertilizer increasing dramatically that obviously foods feeds in significantly to the cost of food production. So that, that is definitely feeding. And indeed, in the last couple of weeks, the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, you know, it predicted that this year, global food imports would increase by 51 billion to hit 1.8 trillion US dollars. Okay, but of that 51 billion increase in uh, the value or the import bill for food, 49 billion is due to higher prices. Yes. So it's it's not due to the fact that more food is being imported. It's the cost of what they're importing is rising. Transport costs are important here, but also, as you said, fertilizer as an input is incredibly important. And um, one of the one of the risks here is that um, there is a price elasticity of demand for fertilizers. So in other words, as the price rises, the demand for fertilizer will reduce. And there are already indications in some of the rice producing countries, um, which are typically poor countries yes. um, and over 50 percent of humankind lives on rice. So with the price of fertilizer increasing so dramatically, rice producing countries apparently are cutting back on the use of fertilizer that should feed directly into a poor rice crop Um over over the coming 12 months. So that's just going to exacerbate uh, the shortage of food, the price of food. And that's why I think for reasons of food more than anything else, you know, the inflation rate in this country um, could easily hit and top 10% over the coming months, because I just don't see um, any of those forces driving food prices improving anytime soon. obviously, Um, A lot depends on what happens in Ukraine, but based on what we see at the moment, that situation doesn't look like resolving itself anytime soon. So here in Ireland, in the year to May, food price inflation was running at four and a half percent. That seems pretty tame relative to the headline rate of 7.8 percent, which is primarily driven by various energy costs. But within that food, that 4.5% is the highest rate of food price inflation we've seen in um, at least a couple of decades. Bread is up 8.8%, flour is up 12.1%, meat is up 7.5%. And based on what we understand about global forces, and particularly input costs like energy and fertilizer and indeed labor costs, um, it is hard to reach any other conclusion other than that food price inflation is really going to become a thing in this country and elsewhere over the coming months. And indeed, the United Nations has warned that around 800 million people globally could be seriously, seriously vulnerable to um, serious food shocks over the next 12 months.
0: Yes, and that's something I wanted to ask you about when you um, mentioned rice and the mortal threat that this poses to uh, people in the third world in countries where there is suffering of all kinds and one of the basic foods is rice and the, and the needs of that and to to measure that uh, as it were, to weigh it against our own suffering uh, in the first world.
1: Uh, yes, I mean the, the, the UN analysis makes it very clear um, that more vulnerable countries are paying significantly more for their food imports but they're actually receiving less food and typically those countries have growing populations so the demand for the volume of food being consumed should be increasing but uh, it's actually declining because of the price so that does spell you know huge huge problems for those vulnerable countries and um you know in 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 many senses what we are experiencing in Europe the united kingdom ireland is um it's it's pretty tame compared to real problems like that uh, but you know ne- nevertheless as as we're seeing and we saw at the weekend um with the cost of living protests happening around the country you know clearly um a lot of people are feeling a serious squeeze in this country at the moment but relative to those vulnerable countries, you know, what we're experiencing is pretty tame stuff. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
0: Now, there were protests around the country at the weekend. Later this week in Britain, uh, there's a rail strike uh, on three days and more predicted to come. I, I want to ask you what governments can do in the face of this kind of tornado, really, of bad news that seems to be way beyond the control of any individual nation, or indeed, if you look at the EU, the UK, or the US, of any um, continent um, or cluster of countries.
1: Yeah, it's, it's 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 interesting the way governments are being blamed for this crisis at the moment. And, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of the narrative coming out of the protests here in Ireland at the weekend was that this is a Fianna Fina Gael government uh, cause problem. But if you look around the world, um, in the United States, where we currently have under Biden, by US standards, a pretty left-wing government, um, it has high inflation. In the United Kingdom, we have, by any standards, a pretty right-wing government. The UK has very high inflation. Germany has a centrist government veering slightly to the left, It has high inflation. Italy has a combination of everything in its political system. It has high inflation. So I guess the conclusion you would draw from that is that this inflation problem is not because of it's not caused by governments. Okay. Um, So blaming governments for what's happening, um, I think, is missing the point. But I guess the other point is, you know, what can... So, okay. before I go on to what governments can actually do about it, so what's causing all of this? Well, it is the disruption caused by what we've lived through over the last two and a half years as a result of COVID and the impact that has had on supply chains and the production of lots of stuff. And then, of course, that has been utterly... Exacerbated by the um, savage Russian invasion of yes. Ukraine and the impact that's had on food prices, energy prices, industrial metals, and so on. So, um, a lot of this stuff is out of the control of governments. So, what can governments do about it? I mean, what can the Irish government do? Um, Michal Martin, um, I saw him quote at the weekend saying that we can't, the Irish government cannot chase inflation. So in other words, the Irish government cannot turn around and spend a load of money every time we get the latest spike in the price of something. Uh, That would be incredibly expensive. um, And I'm not sure it's a sensible strategy. Um, I think one thing government can certainly do is to look at, number one, the taxation of energy for example because despite the reduction we saw in excise duties in energy the government is still going to collect more in excise duties this year on fuel than before the um the the, the cuts in that taxation uh, and that and that's because the prices escalated so much so they could look at significantly reducing the tax take on Energy and fuel generally. That was uh, one of the
0: that was one of the calls at the weekend. Uh, petrol retailers were calling for a VAT reduction on fuel uh, to ease uh, the cost. I think uh, the VAT rate is twenty three percent, and they want it uh, reduced to ten percent.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and likewise with the excise part of it, you you can certainly. Um, you could make a meaningful impact there by doing those things but um, I think a bigger problem actually is going to be food because um, I think from a political yes. perspective rising energy costs is a significant problem, okay, there's no doubt about that but at uh, And I guess it's happening at a reasonably good time of the year, you know, when we're into the summer when the demand for energy is less strong anyway, particularly for heating houses and so on. Um, And I would note also that, um, and, and this has been statistically proven in the United States, but I would notice anecdotally here in Ireland that the escalation in the cost of motor fuel has certainly done nothing to dampen traffic. So uh, yeah. people are still out there driving. I think a much, much bigger issue would be um if I'm correct and if food price inflation really starts to become a significant issue, that's when it becomes really, really politically difficult to handle. Uh There is no VAT on food, so you can't turn around and reduce the VAT. So there really is only one response to that, and that is a direct financial subvention to people. Um, and I and I think that would be number one, incredibly expensive if it was to be done universally. Um, and uh, so, so I think what the government has got to do, if it's going to lend support, it has got to do so to people who are on social welfare who are yes. vulnerable. Um I, I think I think that is the only choice. You can't just turn around, and you know, do something in a universal sense to try and help everybody. You know, some of us, we just have to soak it up. Yeah. And, um, w- w- one of the things that has struck me in the last couple of years is how more and more calls are coming on government to solve every problem. Yes. Um, and maybe I'm, I'm a dinosaur here, but you know, g- g- when I was growing up and particularly during the seventies with the two Isle prize shocks. uh, you know, the government wasn't expected to step in and bail out everybody. Uh, But because of the bailout of the banking system back in 2011-13, that period, uh, because of the significant government intervention in the face of COVID over the last two and a half years, there is now just a general expectation and acceptance that every time you have a Problem, government steps in and solves that problem for you. Um, I don't think that is a realistic expectation because it would be an incredibly expensive thing to do. And uh, I also think it's just dangerous building up this much dependence on state intervention in the system.
0: Okay, let me ask you a couple of key questions about people with real muscle. Um, Joe Biden, President of the United States uh, of America. He has been scathing about the Saudis uh, and in particular about the crown prince who was uh, deemed to be responsible for the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, a journalist from the Washington Post who was a moderate critic of uh, the Saudi regime. Biden is going to visit the Saudis now. He's going to ask them to turn the taps on, on their oil production to help out the West. That's one sign, we could argue, of a change, maybe a bit humiliating, but necessary. The other thing I want to ask you about is the prospect of a long war in the Ukraine uh, with Russia and Ukraine, apparently, digging in for the long haul. These two things, one, if Biden were to succeed in persuading the Saudis uh, to increase the oil, oil supply uh, can they do that significantly en- enough uh, and in volume enough to in any way make a dent in the in the in the problem
1: uh yeah yeah i mean i i i think that um okay there's there's a huge level of hypocrisy involved in Biden doing what he has to do but i i guess if you look in the sporting world at the new golf tour yep. if if you look at what's happening um with football clubs in England and you, you think about Man City and Newcastle, for example, yep. uh, you know, there's a huge level of hypocrisy here, uh, but Biden obviously regards reaching out to the Saudis and going out there with the begging bowl as being the lesser of two evils. Yep. And um, if the Saudis pump increase the, um, oil supply turn on the taps a bit more, Um, presumably other countries in the region would respond accordingly. Um, I think they have the capacity to do that. Um, If you combine that increased supply with the reduced demand for fuel, that will inevitably happen if central bank policy causes a recession in the United States and elsewhere. So, a combination of those factors could bring oil prices back down over the coming months. Um, but so, so it's uh, I, I guess it is clutching at straws in a sense that desperate times um, require desperate measures and I think that's what Biden going out to the Saudis does yes. represent um, as un, uh, it, 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 it doesn't look very very um, you know, a lot of people would have a lot of problems with that, but I guess, as I say, it is the lesser of two evils at this juncture. Um, I think there, there is, there's another element of this, um, you know, if, okay, and it ties into the second question you asked me, you know, if this turns out to be a prolonged war, um, clearly it is going to have a prolonged impact on Um, food prices and food supply around the world particularly in areas like wheat and um, in fertilizer and uh, in sunflower oil and so on Uh, so that whole food issue is going to remain a big issue Um, and in terms of energy likewise um, you're unlikely to see uh, the, you know, an increase in the supply of, or at least the supply of gas and oil out of Russia will remain um, e- extremely weak and vulnerable. So I, I think what we've got to think about in the rest of the world is, and particularly here in Ireland and indeed Europe, uh, we have got to reduce our dependence on imported fossil fuels. You yes. know, we, we've just got to push forward this alternative energy agenda. Um, so solar, wind, um, yeah. wave energy, these energies have got to be developed. Um, I'm not saying they are the total solution, but they would be part of a portfolio of a solution. Um, I think ultimately the most sensible thing to do would be to go the nuclear option. Um, it makes a lot more sense, I think, than any other alternative energy proposal at the moment. But of course, in this country, uh, the notion of nuclear power is just uh, not contemplated at all. But the, the one thing this Russian war should really teach us is that we do need to reduce our dangerous dependence on energy imports from volatile countries yes. and it, and it's not just russia it's the a lot of the other oil producing countries around the world yes. likewise um but of course the spirit of nimbyism in this country just prevents the development of wind and um solar energy but also from a government perspective uh, they pay lip service to offshore Um, Wind energy, for example, but government is lending no support whatsoever to that industry at the moment in a real sense. And um, I've spoken to operators who are trying to develop offshore wind as a partial solution to the energy crisis. And uh, they all tell me that they're getting no support whatsoever from government, that lip service is being paid, but nothing more. So that's a long
0: term. uh, That's a long term. Uh, project, uh, Jim. Let me ask you a final uh, question about how bad this could get. Uh, And I mean, let me put it this way. The European Union, uh, the United Kingdom and the US, they won't all be singing from the same hymn sheet, will they?
1: Uh no. Um and I mean we've the, 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 the geopolitics of everything that's happening at the moment is obviously also complicating this because you know what we've seen over the last five or six years and more has been this growth in economic nationalism, uh the growth in more extreme politics, and I suppose Trump really pushed that agenda. Um yep. the chances are that the Republicans will regain both houses in November. That will set Trump up for a run at the White House again in 2024. Um, and even if it's not Trump, some Trump-like character. So I, I think this this division between um, the United States, Europe, and indeed you know, the United Kingdom, given the nonsense that's going on with Brexit at the moment, uh, the politics of all of this extremely difficult as well. And the French elections at the weekend yep. um, have seriously undermined uh, the rest of Macron's presidency. The, the term which is just beginning, um, that that term now is going to be seriously damaged by the election results at the weekend. And the the consensus view this morning is that this sets the extreme right in France up. For a very strong showing in 2027, I know um, a, a lot can happen, you know, over that period of time. Yes. But but the whole global geopolitical thing at the moment is um, extremely fragmented countries going in different directions and i think europe's big problem now is that it there is no leadership whatsoever because in germany is not providing leadership um, macron has now been seriously undermined yes so you'd struggle to name any other european leader at the moment so european political leadership um, is really really an issue at this stage so if you do not have um, strong leadership um, cooperation between the major Western powers, well, then, you know, all of these problems are just going to uh, rumble on and on, unfortunately.
0: Could it be that we've reached the end of an economic era?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, the, the stable, uh, the,
0: progressive, yeah. stable, uh, predictable. Could that be when you look? across the globe, no longer a given?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I think the legacy of 2007, 2008 has fundamentally changed the global political landscape. Um, It definitely helped give rise to the rise of extreme politics it definitely helped give rise to the growth of nationalism and this anti-globalization or de-globalization agenda, whatever you want to call it. And um, the Ukraine war, uh, well, COVID first, and now the Ukraine war has exacerbated all of those pressures. So I, I definitely think that the the whole model of globalization. Um, that we have grown up with for, you know, 40, 50 years, well, certainly since the late 1950s, um, is now under serious threat and deep globalization, I think is going to be a massive theme. And, um, that, that that's why, you know, there's going to be, I think the whole model of capitalism and globalization is fundamentally changing at the moment. I think there will be much more sort of individualism from countries or nationalism, if you want to call it that. Um, I think countries and businesses will be much more reluctant to invest in certain countries um, that they would deem to be politically unstable or dangerous or perhaps they don't have the sort of ethical standards that um, would be acceptable and so that whole ESG agenda feeds into this. So yeah, I mean I, I think the model of capitalism has been fundamentally damaged by what's happened in the last 15 years and um, always when one model um, ends uh, there tends to be a vacuum created for a while and vacuums are always dangerous so I think
0: and they're always filled
1: but <laughs> they are indeed yes indeed so okay. they, yeah they're always filled by dangerous things so and I'd be reasonably sanguine about this if I believe we had strong global political leadership at the moment or we don't. Um, as I tried to describe earlier, I think there is a serious yeah. uh, global political leadership vacuum at the moment. Um, and, and that, of course, um, allows extreme authoritarian leaders like um, Xi Jinping in China, um, Putin in Russia, Victor uh, Orban in Hungary. Orban in Hungary, Erdogan in Turkey, uh, Bolsonaro yeah. in Brazil, Modi in India. So, we, yes. you know, we see it all over the place. And um, the, the, the West, or the developed world, if you want to call it that, never had a greater need to be more united And never, I think, has it been more disunited than we see at the moment. And as I say, the lack of political leadership, I think, is a huge, huge um, fundamental problem. So I'd be very worried about global geopolitics um, into the future.
0: Okay, Jim, we're really uh, grateful to you for reminding us how much we like our strongmen. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. uh, thank, Thank you very much indeed, Jim. That's Jim Power, one of our leading uh, economists and one of our most interesting intellectuals. We're grateful to Jim, as always, Uh, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.